rest, rest of you, if you open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 2, we'll be looking at verse 15 and following. Before we get started, I, let's pray. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You're the giver of all good things. Father, we come this morning asking you to clear our minds, soften our hearts, so that we can hear your voice clearly and that we may respond. Speak to us, O oh God, your willing servants. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we look at the shepherds, hope and joy, as a way of an opening illustration, I like to talk about a ghost of Christmas past. Now, I'm not talking about Ebenezer Scrooge or the mistakes that he made in his youth. Rather, I'm talking about mistakes I have made as a parent and perhaps you have made as a parent. Specifically, I'm talking about the links that we have gone to at times to get just the right toy or the right gift for our children. In 1990s, there is a toy called Tickle Me Elmo. Very popular toy. There are thousands upon thousands of dollars spent on the black market trying to get this doll. Now, if you don't know what Tickle Me Elmo is, you would squeeze him and he would laugh and giggle and carry on. Now, in the 2000s, there was a toy called the Bratz doll. Lots of different characters and you had to get just the right character. Allison loved these things. Once again... Thousands upon thousands of dollars and time spent looking for this. Now, I asked the ladies Bible class about this next one. Kind of blew me away. In the 1970s, there was a huge push for getting people a pet rock. Now, when you got the pet rock, it came in a package with holes drilled in it. So I guess the rock could be able to breathe. And on the side of the box, it said, caution. Do not open the box until you read the directions. Really? And I thought about how much time we spent spend looking for just the right toy. Millions of parents, millions of people are desperately, desperately hoping to find just that right gift. Now, when's the last time you gave a gift or received a gift? That kept the person's interest or your interest beyond Christmas morning, much less the rest of the year. That gift that won't end up back in the closet somewhere a week after. How much time do we spend looking for just that right gift? The first Christmas present was not like that. The first Christmas present is something 
that continues to affect all of us today. Let's look in our passage this morning, starting in Luke chapter 2, verse 15. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, or with haste, or they hurried off and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they had made known the statement which had been told of them about this child. All who heard it wondered or were amazed at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering on them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. What an impact that first Christmas made on the shepherds. And so the first thing I want to point out to you, that gift that was given, Christ, is the reason for hope and our foundation of joy. The problem we have when we look for things to give us hope and joy is a case of diminishing returns. That law says as an investment at a certain point, it cannot continue to increase if other variables remain at a constant. And we find the more we go back to that thing or think about it, the less joy it brings. For in other words, put it to you this way. Think of that once-in-a-lifetime experience that you can have. Believe it or not, I like to try skydiving. Man, I would have, what an event that would be. I, I don't know, I think someone would have to push me out the plane. What a sensation as I leap out and the plane keeps going. I just hope the guy packed my parachute correctly. But perhaps for you it's taking a trip overseas or going to see the Grand Canyon, whatever it is. Or maybe you already had that lifetime experience. And when you got back or after you experienced whatever it was, as you thought about it, it brought that back to the adrenaline and the excitement about, wow, I just can't wait to go back there. But as time moves on, we tend to forget about it, don't we? Yeah, I remember going there. No big deal. Been there, done that. And so it loses it's luster. I put it to you this way. You ever go buy a new car? Ooh, you get that new car, and you're looking at it. It looks so nice and pretty all shined up, nice and clean. You even open the hood, and you can actually see the engine. I mean, it's clean, pristine. And you open up the door, and you smell that new car smell. And you go, oh, man, i got to have this. And so the, the guy's talking about financing and you don't have to make payments for the first 90 days. He tells you this payment, but you don't really pay attention to the payment or finance charge very much. Because you're too busy looking at the new car or the new truck. But what happens? That all seems to fade away when that first payment comes due. The second one, the third one. Six months, a year later, I don't know why I spent so much money on this vehicle. So the point I'm trying to make is that everything that we chase that the world has to offer, it fades Away after a period of time, it loses its luster, its appeal to us. But the first Christmas gift is a different sort of gift altogether. The shepherds show us encountering Jesus is a different sort of experience. In fact, it made such an impact upon them, they couldn't help but go spread the word about what they had seen and what they have heard. 
This was a lasting hope and joy that they could not contain. And Jesus himself gave us insight about this joy and this hope that we could have. In John chapter 15, verse 11, now in context of that verse, John, John chapter 15, he's talking about he is the vine and we are the branches. As he abides in the Father, we can abide in him and he in us. This whole thing of unity. And he says in verse 11 of John chapter 15, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Shepherd's joy was a result of what God had done. The hope, the wonder, and the life-changing joy for them began when they first heard about Jesus, that first proclamation. And by the way, that word hurried off, it's not talking about necessarily got up and start running, but it's talking about immediate obedience. When they heard, they had to get up and go. There was no questioning about it, no sitting around pondering about how long it's going to take. No, they went up and they went immediately. An encounter with Jesus changed them. And joy for us begins the same way it did for the shepherds. It begins with meeting Jesus. And without that foundation, how can we hope to have a lasting joy? Meeting Jesus never stops impacting us. It never stops influencing us and shaping our lives transforming our lives. It remains and continues on through all eternity. It never stops giving us the hope and the joy for the rest of our lives. While our foundation for joy comes as a result of what Jesus did for us, embracing daily joy has little to do with what happens to us every day. What I'm talking about, to, to have that daily joy, we have to make a decision to embrace it. And that comes daily, almost moment by moment. So the next thing we'll talk about is embracing the hope and joy that has been given. We need to embrace it. And that, that's a daily decision you have to make. When you get up in the morning, early in the morning, like Tammy and I do, I have to prepare my mind and say, okay, erase everything else, God. Put me in the right time frame. And sometimes the work I'll listen to, 100.7 the word. Hear some good preaching, or maybe I'll just turn on Christian radio to hear some good songs, listen to a lot of Christmas songs to help me. You know what? As a side note, I found I drive a little more considerate when I listen to music like that than I do when I listen to that really. Some of that music just wants to make you drive fast, don't it? And you just get that beat going. But it, it helps me focus my attention. And I'm trying to make a more conscious decision to be careful what I let come in my ears and through my eyes. Because it affects, you know, you, when I stop back and look, I say, I'll get mad at Tammy sometimes. I'm like, why am I getting mad? This is stupid. Because I'm too busy listening to all these other voices. But in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Paul expresses this truth about embracing the hope and joy that has been given. Look what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Important part of our walking in hope and joy is to choose to rejoice in everything. See, hope and joy and rejoice is not really connected with our circumstances. It is a decision that we make. And the key to life 
is to choose to rejoice wherever our circumstances may be. Now, at first glance to my earthly, my worldly thinking, I'm like, why can that be? How can I truly rejoice in everything that comes my way? How is that possible? Well, I'd like to show you an example in Scripture, the prophet Habakkuk. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, he prays when Israel is in a terrible state of disarray. Wickedness and adultery rule the land. The the Assyrians are threatening to overwhelm Israel. And as we read that, I want you to pay attention to the circumstances and then his response. Habakkuk chapter 3, starting in verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines... Though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the field, fold and there will be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. There's not much more could be going wrong in Israel, yet his response is to rejoice and to be joyful. Put it where we're at today in America. Although our politicians are all crooked and all this stuff is going on, I can still rejoice in the God of my salvation. That's why we say a Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. By the way, people say it should be a Merry Christmas, not Happy Holidays. Holidays really is a short, is a short word made of two different words, Holy Days. We just shorten it called Holidays. It really means Holy Days. Why is Christmas supposed to be so merry? Because Christ has come. See, normally when things happen that are good, we feel happy, we feel joyful, we rejoice, our prospects look good and hope fills our heart. However, it actually works the other way around. Have you ever come to this place? Now, you are the church. This is the building in which we meet. We call it the church building. But you are the church as born-again believers in Christ. When you come to meet with your fellow brothers and sisters, you may be at home. You've had a bad week. And you're thinking, you know what? I really don't want to go. I just don't feel like it. It's been a rough week. I want to sleep in. I just don't feel like it. But when you come, and it could be a song, it could be a prayer, it could be a message, it could be whatever it is, that peace and the hope that we have fills your heart. Guess what happens? You actually feel better, peaceful, dare I say joyful when you walk out than when you first walked in. See, that joy is a result of that truth. It's not a result of our circumstances. Uh, Joy flows out of rejoicing just as rejoicing Flows out of joy. The great reformer, Martin Luther, German, he was uh, 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 was prosecuted for his beliefs and the Reformation. But he wrote a song that's in our hymnal called, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And one of the lines in that song is, The body they may kill, his truth abideth still. See, when everything else is going wrong, and we feel like giving up, and we feel like this is it, hold on to that truth. 
Hold on to that foundation, which is Christ. That's how I've gotten through things in my life. Because there are times where I've got to tie that knot and interrupt and hang on to that truth. Lord, I am trusting you. Which leads us to the next one, the hope and joy that cannot be taken away. Do you remember what Romans 8.28 says? It says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Notice it says, all things to work together. It doesn't say all things are good, but He's taking every circumstance, everything that happens to us, to work for good. Now, there are some things God allows coming into our lives. There are things that we do because of our bad decisions and choices that happen to us. But God will take all those things and work it for good. If you love God, you can be sure that He's going to use it somehow in some way for your good. Because He is mindful of you and watchful over you. In that, we can always have hope which will will result in rejoicing and the Eventual outflows of rejoicing is joy. Now, we are called to share each other's burdens. All right? Life's hard, is it not? It's painful at times. It's really difficult. And as brothers and sisters, we are called to share each other's burdens. Let's be honest about it. Let's lift each other up in our struggles one thing I, I believe that hurts me and hurts the church overall is that we get into this thinking that I'm the only one that's dealing with this. That everybody else seems to have it all together. Some of the people you think have it all together are really falling apart. We, we walk around so much with our mask on, don't we? It's like, here, here's Jerry. When I see Jerry out in town, here's how we normally do it. Hey, Jerry, how you doing? Did I really mean that? Or did I stop and say, hey, brother, how you doing? How's things going in your life? See, see the difference? We're so worried about putting up this masquerade that we're lying to ourselves. We're also lying, lying to God. But be honest about it. However, we have to be careful about one thing. Don't fall into the trap of complaining, nitpicking, just being difficult. Because complaining will rob you of joy. And I'm going to tell you this as your pastor. As we continue to move forward, there's going to be some growth pains. And the enemy is going to try to get us to complain about each other. Because we do that, it will rob our joy and our peace from us. Collectively as a body and as individuals. Uh, Complaining will steal that. That doesn't mean you, you whitewash everything. There are things we need to talk about. But don't get into complaining. all. you know people who complain all the time? Oh, really? I'm the only person that knows who people complain all the time. All right? Would you, would you describe that person as someone who's joyful and happy and peaceful? Do you want to hang around those people? I've been people in church that complain about everything. I've been at work that complain about everything. We don't want to be around those people. Now, I'm not saying, like, I, let me be clear. I'm not saying we just... Scoop everything beneath the carpet, per se. But I'm saying, don't fall into that trap about complaining about every little thing and nitpicking. Because it doesn't, doesn't help. In fact, it hurts. Shouldn't settle for anything less. 
we have to mention another undeniable theme that's connected to our hope and growing joy. And we see it in Psalm 51, which is written by David. I don't mean to steal your thunder, brother. But this psalm is written after he has done something very bad. He had an affair with Bathsheba, and he knowingly sent her husband out in the front lines of battle so he would be killed. And he writes this psalm. In verse 3 and 4, listen to what he writes. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. He's confessing what he's done. And then the high point, look at verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. David is bringing his life back in alignment with God's truth and God's word. Let's be honest. Sin looks like fun. Sin will give us temporary pleasure, momentarily relieve us from our troubles, and even seem to give us some happiness. That's the lure of it. It's tempting, isn't it? Isn't it? tempting but we know the end of it don't we because at the end of it it will steal your hope and it will crush your joy psalm 19 verse 8 says the precepts of the lord are right rejoicing the heart the commandment of the lord is pure enlightening the eyes do you want your eyes to light up do you want to come alive do you want to have unshakable, unshakable hope and joy. You ready? Then you and I must do things God's way, not our way. As John the Baptist would say in John chapter 3, verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. That's how we get the unshakable hope and joy. I came across this in C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory. Listen to what he writes. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine... What is meant by offer of a holiday at the sea? We are far too easily pleased. Wow. We too easily forget what the angel announced to the shepherds that night. We too easily forget what it means that a Savior had been born. The truth of eternal life If we really understand what it means for us, that's more than enough to give us a reason to rejoice in every situation and circumstance we might find ourselves in. There's a song written by Jeremy Camp, There Will Be a Day. There will be a day. No more tears. There's going to be a day that we're all gathered home. He talks about that great joy. He, He says in that song that that's the promise 
he hangs on to. You know, the more we walk on this earth, we'll find that man, the world is not my home. I don't belong here. I'm just passing through. I wish, I confess to God, I wish I lived that more in my life every day. That I understand that I need to take care of things, take care of my family, but keep it in perspective. All, one day all this is going to be gone. It's going to be gone. Nothing else is going to matter except my relationship to God, my creator, through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that's going to matter. Keep that in perspective. Salvation includes heaven, but salvation is more than heaven. It means that we're one of God's children. How does it describe someone before they come to faith in Christ? An enemy, an alien. But once you come to Christ in faith, now you're part of the family. You're one of his. Salvation means to be a part of God's family. To be found in Christ is to be given the standard offer and ability to stand in the presence of God. Now, do me a favor. Close your eyes for a second. Don't go to sleep. I want you to think about God on his throne. What, what does that look like? I, I think of Isaiah 6. I saw the Lord high and lifted up in his train of his temple. Filled the room. Think about that for a minute. Now think. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you gave your life over to him, you, my brother or sister, can stand before Almighty God in all his glory, his wonder, his majesty, and power without blemish. Because the blood of Jesus Christ covers you. That is reason to get up and shout and rejoice in that truth alone. To be in God's presence, to, to believe in Jesus, to always to have His Spirit, His help, His comfort, and His strength in every circumstance. Joy is stolen when you and I forget what Jesus' arrival on earth means to us. So we search for it by making mud pies in the slum. We go back to what we said in the beginning. We're going after that, that thing, that right gift, that right toy, that right car, that right house, that right job, the right spouse, the right girlfriend, the right boyfriend. And so it goes on and on and on. We're making mud pies in the slum when we do that. Rather than seeking the refreshment of a holiday at sea, when you come and you meet Jesus and you give your heart to him, Life can and will be hard and difficult and painful at times. But we know what the angel told the shepherds that night. The Savior has come and in him we are saved no matter what happens, no matter who's present, no matter what Congress does, no matter what all the world does. No scheme of man, no power of hell can snatch you out of his hand. Christmas. Oh, I hope I get this for Christmas. Oh, I hope I get that new shirt. Oh, I hope I get that new car. That pales in comparison to what God has done for me and for you and the entire world. Emmanuel, God with us.
God with you every step of the way. What gift can can even compare to that? Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 36. If the Son, S-O-N, speaking of Himself, makes you free or sets you free, you will be free indeed. May we live each day like we are saved, that we are loved and we have been set free. Every moment is a chance to sing and to lift our praises to our King. Every moment is a chance to rejoice. Every moment is an opportunity to be filled with overflowing joy and hope and peace. So let me ask you, have you been set free by the Son? Have you professed faith in Him? Have you confessed, you have agreed with Him, you just, I have sinned against you like David did in the Psalm 51? Or are you too busy trying to get everything taken care of by making those same old stinking mud pies in the slum. Chasing what the world has to offer, but can never give to you. We know this to be true. Everything that you can buy, it, it gives you a little, and then it just goes away. Think about Look at the commercials. Everything's new and improved, new and improved, new and improved. Only the gift of Christ can give you unshakable hope and joy. If you have never been set free, you can do it right now. He's right here. He's he's willing and he's able. But you have to make the decision. You have to step forward and say, yes, I'm going to follow you. I confess my sins to you, O God. Wash me. Make me a new creation I put my life, I put my all in your hands. And he will set you free from sin. He will set you free from shame or from guilt. He'll give you that hope and joy that this world promises but can never deliver. How about you, Christian? If you made that faith, what's keeping you back from experiencing unshakable joy and peace in your lives. It's holding us back. Not only is is it invisible, how about as a church? I think we're so busy chasing all these other things that the world puts in front of us that we lose focus that God has the perfect answer. He's given us what we desperately long for. That, that, that longing in your heart right now, that empty space in your heart, that, that place that's, that's restless, that's a space only God can fill. Quit listening, I beg you, quit listening to the enemy. Listen to the voice of truth. He sent his son. He sent his son. To pay the price that you and I never could. Look at that. I'm going to end with this. Just look at this, 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 this picture right here. Think about the big deal we make 
when a visiting dignitary comes from another country or the president comes, all the pomp and circumstances, everything that goes into it. After all, he's the president. Look at the great I am. God Almighty. He didn't come as he deserved. He came born in a manger, literally a feeding trough. In the shadow of all these big castles, what Herod built. No royalty there to meet him. This is simply lowly birth. Look at his death. Died between two criminals. A death that was so humiliating, awful, that even if you're a Roman citizen, they wouldn't put you to death like that. It was considered too cruel and too nasty. But yet, he did absolutely nothing wrong. Even Pilate said, I can find no fault in him. But yet, he took that cross on. But aren't you glad the story doesn't stop there? Because on that third day, oh boy, everything changed. Everything changed. And just a few months from now, we'll be celebrating Easter. But right now, we're celebrating the fact that that God... (laughs) And I'm a grandfather now, and I think of Madison... I think of her when she comes to the house, she's down and she's playing on the floor, has her toys scattered everywhere. You know, you try to walk somewhere, you hurt yourself, may fall. But she looks at me and says, Paw, Paw, play. Play with me, Paw, Paw. So I have to get out of my chair and I get down and I play with her. I look her in the eye. I tell her I love her. She gives me a hug. Doesn't that just warm your heart? That's what God did for us. He got off his throne, got down with us, loved us. Looked us in the eye and said, I love you. Think about that in the next coming, the rest of the day and in the coming days. Heavenly Father, words cannot express the feeling of our hearts today when we think of that gift. That Jesus, you came to earth. That you stepped out of heaven. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's, It's all those things. And I pray, as you continue to move in this place, that you would knock down any barriers or walls, bust any chain that may be keeping any of us back. Perhaps it's, Someone needs to come to faith the first time, God, or perhaps it's we need to confess sin, whatever it is, dear God. Please continue to move and search our hearts. May we never get over the fact of that birth of your son that happened so many years ago. We thank you for that gift that results in unshakable hope and joy for each one of us. Draw men and women, boys and girls, unto yourself. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.